Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. Good evening, and thank you again for joining us on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am normally your keeper, Keeper Michael, for our Masks of Yonathotep and Horror on the Orient Express campaigns. But in this series, I will be abdicating that throne to a new regent, a regent by the name of Bridget Jeffries. So, Keeper Bridget, take it away. Hello, hello, everyone. My name is Bridget Jeffries, and uh, I've been invited by the Old Ways podcast to come on and run a limited campaign in Regency Cthulhu. Uh, The title of this game is Echoes in the Mist, but thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to be here. I'm going to kick it back over to Mike for his Old Ways administrative stuff, and then we will be back to introduce the cast. As we always like to do, we would like to thank our listening audience and our Patreon supporters. If you would like to join them, you can do so at patreon.com slash the old ways podcast, where we can happily support the wonderful players and the show as you continue to listen and enjoy. And so let's get on to introductions, shall we? I love it. I love it. Let us start with John. Hello, John. I'll be playing Hugo Bartleby, Lieutenant Officer of a Ship of Mark. I am so looking forward to seeing this character in play. Oh my gosh. Kicking it over to Noob. Hello, I'm Noobish Indian Girl, and I am playing Vidya Ambani. And I don't want to say anything more to give away the time period that our adventure is taking place. So my occupation is secret slash non-existent. Oh, 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 God. I'm so excited. And then uh, Mike, finish us off, baby. Who are you playing tonight? I will be playing Sir Robert Dance, Officer and gentlemen. Ooh, guys, y'all know this cast from anywhere else in the world. You know, this game is about to be absolutely spectacular. So uh, content warnings, red lines have been discussed with the cast and crew. They already understand it. Mike Diamond was phenomenal about feeding me all of that information. Of course, X part is in play. So if you need it, use it. I can see you. You can chat it to me and we will rock on from there. So we are starting in Regency Cthulhu. And uh, so uh, starting off, I have a request from Mike Diamond. Mike Diamond, you have something to share with the table. Absolutely. I had a dream, which was not at all a dream. The bright sun was extinguished, and the stars did wander, darkling, in the eternal space, rayless and pathless, and the icy earth swung blind and blackening in the moonless air. Morn came and went and came and brought no day, and men forgot their passions in the dread of this their desolation. 
and all hearts were chilled into a selfish prayer for light. And they did live by watchfires and the thrones, the palaces of crowned kings, the huts, the habitations of all things which dwell were burned for beacons. Cities were consumed. That is from the poem, The Darkness by Lord Byron. On April 5th, 1815, in the Dutch East Indies, known today as Indonesia, Mount Tambora violently exploded in a series of eruptions culminating in the largest volcanic eruption in recorded human history. The thunderous detonations were heard for more than a week and the sound traveled over 1,200 miles. Heavy volcanic ash rains were observed as far away as Borneo, Sulawesi, Java, and the Maluki Islands. Eight-inch puma stones rained down from the sky. The entire island of Tambora was destroyed as vegetation, uprooted trees, and the corpses of its occupants were washed into the sea. The 1815 eruption released 10 to 120 million tons of sulfur into the stratosphere, causing a global climate anomaly. Drastically chilled temperatures, tsunamis, summer snowfalls, heavy rains. In the United States, citizens observed a persistent stratospheric sulfate aerosol veil, described then as a dry fog. It, it settled in areas of the states and it could not be dispersed by wind nor rainfall. It reddened and dimmed in sunlight to the extent that sunspots were visible to the naked eye. But here, on a ship, just outside of Dorset, England, the date is April 1816, and both Europe and our investigators are about to experience what would later be known as a year without summer. Noob, I need a group luck check from the table, please. Oh, no. Let's get this party started right off. Here we go. Oh. Oh, man. I uh, I rolled an 82 out of 25. I got very lucky uh, on my luck roll, or rather unlucky. Okay. If you know my keepering style, you know that I'm always looking for fun and creative ways to introduce characters. That's just not a roundtable of tell us what you look like and who you are. So I'm going to call upon Captain Sir Robert Dance first. And basically what I'm going to do is hit you with a series of questions to help introduce yourself to the table, flush out who you are, and kind of give the audience uh, and each other a feel for who your character is. So, Sir Robert Dance, you set sail for Dorset, England from India six months ago in November of 1815. That was just six months after Mount Tamora Blue. First, I'd like an astronomy check from you. And then I'd like you to tell us why you're making this particular trip. That is a 44 under 60 as a success on my astronomy roll. That is a success on your astronomy roll. Bravely done. And uh, Sir Robert Dance, why are you making this trip? Well, I think it's likely a matter of business for the most part. Okay. I've been selected. That's the affectionate term that uh, my superiors in England would call it. Selected to escort a very important young lady to their coming out party. That public maturity. And while he's not by any means a simple chauffeur, 
he does understand that certain things must be done as matters of polite court are engaged in. And so that is likely about 80% of the reason why he's doing this. The other 20% that sort of gives him a desire to go back to Dorset would be a return home to a place he hasn't visited since six, eight months ago. And the ash and the desolation that he experienced in that Indonesian area probably probably makes him a little homesick. That's probably the other reason he's doing it. Fair. He's 36. And so for, for him, it's time to go home and to see two other affairs. Mm-hmm. For him, the Napoleonic Wars are over. And he has done his bit for the crown. And he's already had somewhat of a tumultuous life, which we'll undoubtedly get into. And so it'll be good to return home. I love that. I love that you touched on just the devastation of what happened when that volcano blew uh, has made you homesick. And it, uh, you and your first mate, and we'll get to him in, here shortly, uh, are used to long haul trips. But, you know, the skies are increasingly difficult for you to see through. And your kinship with the stars is one of the things that helps guide your ship. Uh, and guides your course and guides your directionality. And they have been increasingly difficult to see with this just persistent veil of fog that has covered the world. And just, it's very difficult to see out. And you miss those bright stars shining upon you, whether you're on sea or on land. And I imagine this is a very difficult time. You'd probably feel better um, at home. Speaking of home, you have an older sister in Dorset, a Miss Grace Rockliffe. In the absence of both a wife and an appointed representative, she and a small handful of your own barristers manage most of your affairs uh, in your absence. Uh, she has stepped up as an accountant, uh, as your facing landlord. And let's face it, she's always been better at arithmetic than you've been. Uh, you sent word ahead to her um, that you were coming. Tell me about your relationship with your sister. And then also, what did you tell her in that letter that you sent from India? I think my relationship with my sister has been fairly good. I think I appreciate her whip-smart mentality, and that's not to say that Mass and Rick's particular all she does, but she's likely good at many, many things. But it's clear, as society has constructed itself, her life is best in service at this point. She's likely not had any children, and so since she's beyond her breeding years... She would be, at best, some sort of seneschal or keeper of house. And that can offer her many advantages in the social scenes, which many do not get. The letter to her likely included not only times for our rivals, but, and she would know that by my sailing is fairly accurate and timely, thanks to uh, experience and a amazing first mate and crew which is their job and their letter probably entails some secret remark a longing to settle perhaps to be done with all the woes of the sea the salt air that gets into everything there's 
probably a slight bit of what we would call careful complaining that she would be able to pick out in those sentences that only she would see, really, that other people would see as just sort of common chatter. Right? Oh, beautiful. She'll love to have a conversation with you about that upon arrival. I love the way that you articulated that careful complaining, because in proper society, complaining is just not something that you do. So it was beautifully articulated. My last question for you, Sir Robert Dance, Captain Sir Robert Dance, both you and your sister have picked up a pair of very ugly and very painful nicknames uh, that polite society whispers behind your back. Because although complaining and gossip is frowned upon, Let's face it, in this era, salacious gossip is literally the blame that uh, the blood that runs through people's veins. You and your sister are either called Ace of Spades or Black Widows. Why is that? Oh, I think Ace of Spades is likely going to be the common nickname between us. It's fairly well known that I enjoy cards every now and again, but beyond that, an Ace of Spades was found in the room that my wife died in likely a holdover from all of the card playing I'd done in the past it was the one Mm. thing that was noted by the doctors who arrived to attempt to treat her And, and it wouldn't be something that would be brought out in the papers but it would be something that would be whispered in social corners and on when they talk about her death that is brutal okay okay beautifully beautifully done Sir Robert Dance. Uh, Let us go and check in and get an introduction on Sir Hugo Bartleby. Uh, First and foremost, my love, I need a navigate check from you. Aye, aye. That would be a success. 43 against 70. Okay, just a regular success? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Sir Hugo Bartleby, thank you for the role. Uh, You're going home. Good luck with that. Yeah. When is the last time you were home? And what was the dripping gossip that wagged the tongues of the elite when you left? I've not been home in about 20 years. The uh, slander spread about me was that I uh, murdered a man. I didn't murder no one. Defended myself in a, in a duel and shot him through the heart. What brought that about is polite uh, society calls it uh, indecency. Un- conduct unworthy of a gentleman. Suffice to say, the situation uh, deteriorated such that I had to leave the country and uh, did so under the auspices of joining King's service and, uh, well, fell in with Cat and Dance, as he was then. But with my being able to read and navigate, I uh, proved fairly useful. And some of my wilder behaviors were more useful during the war than others. Mm-hmm can definitely whip a bunch of men into line and if you put me up against the wrong ones I can get rid of them I uh, am fiercely loyal to Captain Dance he's done right by me I've done right by him as best I can and um, yeah that's that's the truth of the matter fair fair okay so you haven't been home Sir Hugo Bartleby in, you said, 20 years? About that. About 20 years. So you're in your early 40s now, if I'm remembering correctly. Correct. Your father, uh, who was in his 70s, uh, you became aware of this, 
about 13 years back, did manage to have one last child. Uh, However, late stage pregnancies during this time, as they are today, um, can be extremely difficult. Uh, Your mother did birth you a younger sister, one Diana Bartleby. She should be about 12 now. You've never met her. But the moment she turned the age that she could read and write, she began sending you letters all over the world. And you, you have a long distance written relationship with your little sister. You're bringing a gift back for little Diana. What gift are you bringing her? And why are you so proud of it? I'm bringing Diana back beautiful dress. It is perfect for such a young lady. I realized when I was buying it that I don't actually know the young lady's size. However, a good seamstress will take it in. As such, I bought it a little bit bigger just in case. However, it is made from the finest materials. It is something that I would not have been able to afford had I not left home. If I had stayed the man my father wanted me to be, she would have no such gown. She will have splendor that she deserves. Wow. That almost stopped my heart there, John. Beautiful. You've sent word ahead to Annie. This is me still talking to uh, Sir Hugo Bartleby. Mm -hmm. Annie is an Anglo-Caribbean woman who, and I say in air quotations, works the docks area. What Annie is, is actually an escaped slave who successfully evaded capture some, oh, I don't know, 20 or so years ago. Uh, She became so effective at using Dorset, sandy beaches, coves, caves, and the smuggling tunnels that she went on a brief expedition of assisting other freshly docked slaves to escape, find freedom here in England, or find return trips home. When that became too risky, uh, Annie became a shadow that lurks on the pool docks, facilitating piracy from land. Uh, She is your ears and eyes on the ground. Uh, She's clever, she's saltier than the ocean water, and despite the fact that she goes out of her way to show you every disrespect, she absolutely loves you, and by extension, she serves a captain as well. You have not been home in 20 years, the captain just left six months ago. A lot of his ground coordination would go through Annie uh, by a proxy of a relationship from you. But I made a statement that she absolutely adores you, and you know that she would die for you because she almost did. Tell us about that time when she took a bullet for you inside the Calico Cave Complex. Calico Cave Complex was back 16 years ago. There was a deal. You were going to pick up some possibly tax-avoided goods. Uh, Duty-free might be the term, which we would then return to England and God save the king. Undermining revenue authorities. However, Johnny Law found out a bunch of revenue men happened to have tailed one of the parties, which wasn't us. I can fair sure say that. And he pushed me out of the way of a bullet. And I'm a big enough man that it should have hit. She threw herself against me, took the ball, and I blew the head off the man that what shot it. At least I'm fairly certain I did. I used Annie saved my life. I couldn't save hers myself, but I did bring her to a good sawbones while I got the ball out and uh, fixed her right up. And my last question for you, uh, Sir Hugo Bartleby, what did your send-ahead letter say to Annie? Told Annie uh, I personally will be back in the country, that I'd meet her at the docks, and I was looking forward to seeing her the first time in a few years in person. 
I included some poetry by Byron, which I might have passed off as my own. I'm not the best at it. Was a reason I couldn't make a career of it the first time. And um, she's probably well aware that it wasn't mine. Oh, yeah. Told her we were coming. Told her when I when to expect us in. Told her probably wouldn't have much by way of cargo, but we did have special super cargo. Oh, special super cargo. She knows what that means. term for a passenger. Yep. She knows what that means. Yeah. She is aware that we have a person of merit amongst us. Okay. Okay. And knowing her, uh, she'll be at the docks about three weeks prior to your anticipated arrival because she knows you as a first mate and she definitely knows how the captain travels. He's a timely man. And she'll probably wait anywhere up to 60 to 90 days following that mark because she's excited to see you too. She'll never admit that to your face, but she really is. Moving over to Miss Vidya Ambani. Did I pronounce that name right correctly first and foremost? Pretty close. Vidya Ambani. So yeah, you you got it. Yes. Vidya Ambani. Perfect. And noob, correct me every single time that I mispronounce it. (laughs) All right, baby girl. Your father is one of the wealthiest merchants in India. He's also completely sunless. And don't worry, even at his age, he's still working on it with whatever number wife he's on right now. He secured successful marriages for each of your elder sisters. At the age of 13, he hired a private tutor from London to train you in English etiquette. Why? Because he planned on sending you away to England. For education, sure, but most importantly, to wed someone with title and esteem in England. This is a business move for him through and through. Yes, he has proxies. Yes, he has relationships. Yes, he has ambassadors such as Sir Robert Dance, but he wants more. He always wants more. He's constantly thirsty and hungry for more. And also, let's be super honest. If your secret gets out, that could really be bad for the family. So it's much easier to have you in England anyway. So shortly after your 15th birthday, he brokered this arrangement with Sir Captain Dance to escort host and shop you around to title gentry or nobility in England. But how do you actually feel about this? I feel extremely conflicted where I'm being made to leave the only home I've ever known, the country of my people, to go somewhere very far away to a country whose people have meddled in the affairs of my country for quite a long time. But I feel very conflicted. I I can't stay here for reasons that pertain to my secret. Things would become very difficult for me if I stay here. But I I have such a good relationship with my older sisters and they were able to secure marriages in the area. And traveling to England means that I have to potentially say goodbye to my siblings forever, where I have no real love for my father I could probably live with never seeing him again, but my sisters who have dealt with this far longer than I have, who raised me to be the girl and the woman I will become, that's going to be really hard to be away from them. Wow, that's super heartbreaking and eloquently put. Miss Vidya, um, along with yourself, which again, let's face it, with a 90 credit rainy, you are the prize here. Uh, Your father also sent you uh, back or sent you to England with crates 
and boxes and troves of teas, spices, and fine silks. Um, you're also being sent forward with a dozen horses. Captain, that took some negotiating on your end with her father, but he was very intent uh, on these dozen horses going with you, along with three cages of exotic birds, totaling about three dozen, and a small black leopard. There's a whole menagerie of things. He's he's coming with that Daenerys Targaryen attitude of like, I'm sending my daughter and she's coming in style, bow before all of us. This is just a sampling of what a household could inherit if you marry my daughter. Again, it's a business move. And all those things are very fun and those are very nice. But the one thing I want from you, my lady, is for you to tell me about your horse. Because your horse is one of the 12 here. I am automatically giving you, surprise skills uh, alert, a 60 in ride. Because you have such an intimate relationship with your horse and you grew up horseback riding, tell me uh, what your horse looks like, their name, uh, and your relationship with this particular horse. Oh my goodness, this is such a pleasant surprise. I didn't know that I would have an animal to bond with, but I love having animals to bond with. I think my horse is completely black with maybe some white markings just along, you know, the bridge of their nose, like just like on the face. And... I think in true fashion, because it's a black horse, the horse's name is going to be Gajol, which also translates to like eyeliner or coal, things like that. So I have a very close relationship with my horse. One of the few things that brought me comfort when I was still living my day to day with my family was taking rides with my horse. I felt like I could really clear my head and sometimes talk it out with my horse in general. I I know it sounds silly, but even though she's a horse, I feel like she could really understand what I was saying. Absolutely stunning. Here's what I need from the three of you guys together. This is a six-month journey from India to England. Now, Captain, you've made this trip multiple times. First mate, you have made it even more. You guys are used to being on a ship for six months. Miss Vidya, this, what? We're on a boat for six months? Listen, all of your entertainment ran out about five and a half months ago. This is a very grueling ordeal, made even more so by the fact that it is six months of sheets and sheets and sheets of cold rain. Now, Captain, spring showers are expected, but this weather has a strange chill to it. It's almost like winter got its claws in and hasn't let go. Um, the skies are weird. Um, you've already started seeing crops not actually coming into fruition. I mean, just you're living through a global anomaly. The rain pours down in troughs, the air is chilled, and this is unlike any spring any of you have ever encountered. What I'm going to do right now is bounce off the three of us with me involved. I want a shared montage of what the last six months have looked like. I'm going to tee up a few things that you can use or not use, but they're still in play. Um, Sir Robert and Sir Bartleby, you know that on a trip like this, you usually dock five or six times to let people get off, stretch their legs. Um, you usually don't stay more than a day or two, but you resupply at various ports as you're making your way uh, around Africa and up towards England. Again, Miss um, Vidya, you've never been on a boat this long. What the fuck is going on? Uh, something else to be mindful of, the waters are biting cold, the air is chilled, and Captain, you've been battling upper respiratory infections amongst your entire crew. Two of them have actually died. 
So, very short snippets. Let's all bounce off of each other. What have you been doing in the last six months to help pass your time, to navigate the trip, and things of that nature? And this is a free-for-all. Everyone can put their hands in a pot and just start mixing stuff around. I think probably one of the first things that I'm going to be concerned about after the first few weeks mm-hmm. is the tenor and tone of the crew. There's likely still some superstition, right? The ones are the men here that something I have to, to press very directly into Bartleby that we have to keep the crew from blaming her, our charge for these conditions, because it, it will be the first thing that they try to go after. They'll look at her and say, she's the problem. You brought her aboard this ship. And so we need to get way ahead of that. And, and I think for Dance's part, he would be more visible on deck than normal. And Bartleby would key in on that as well. I would be concerned about keeping an eye over the men, especially when we make ports, because there's going to give you that natural desire, again, to perhaps stay longer than they're supposed to, or to try to find some sort of port to egress. We, we, have, we have to press gang our own people. That's a problem, right? Uh, but it is what we would do if we need to, because ultimately we have to make England. Captain? When the first crewman dies of the upper respiratory infection, backed up against, like, there's this um, rich, let's be honest, colored woman on board that's being shopped off to England. And then you want to tack on the fact it's sheets and sheets of miserable rain. That first crewman that dies, you can already see the whispers and the gossip and the, the focus heading her way. What are you going to do? And I need a roll for this because I wasn't I wasn't intending to do rolls, but... That was too good just to leave on the table. Uh, what are you, you going to roll to keep your crew in line? The Regency set offers me a few different skills that I could go to, right? Yeah. And so I have Reassure, which which is mostly for the recovery of sand and Regency, but mm-hmm. given we've seen a crewman die, they may be a little shakier than normal, right? Okay. So I'd probably start there. Okay, just roll me that beautiful reassure uh, footage. I am going to spend the three points of luck necessary to make that a success. Worth it. Worth it. Worth it. Now, uh, as Mike has already explained, guys, reassure is a new skill in Regency. This is basically the Regency equivalent of psychoanalysis. So this is helping people out of bouts of madness, sitting down with them and helping them actually roll back uh, and recover some of their sand loss. So just very briefly, Sir Robert Dance, give me a description of what this looks like. Did you call a team meeting? Was these Were these words said at the, the, the funeral right before you wrapped this guy off and threw him overboard? Like, how was this, how was this reassure in play? Yeah, I would think that Dance would probably stand on ceremony and reassure the crew that this man, this crewman's man, was given in the same way it would have been given if we were at war or peacetime. And that deaths upon a ship happen and that no one person's arrival or exit should be considered some sort of superstitious omen or something like that. And, and what is important is that we acknowledge that the man gave his all until he could not. And that by God's grace, we will reach England and the rain be damned because we have seen worse. And, and if there are crew crewmen here that have, were with me in war, then 
I will make sure to drag them into this by my eye contact. They know we have been through worse. This is rain. It's not cannon fire. So gird your loins and get back to work. That's what we're here to do. I absolutely couldn't love that more. Beautifully done. I will reiterate something that you said. And I just want you to keep this in mind as we continue through the game. One of the most dangerous things of humanity is when everyone has a circular idea that someone is to blame and they all mob it. You have seen war. You have seen so many things. But there is something viscerally dangerous about it's that person's fault. It's that country's fault. It's that culture's fault. It's that fault. And everyone just converging onto that ideal. John and Noob, anything <laughs> you guys want to add? It doesn't have to be tied to that. It can be completely different. Having been a sailor for 20 years and not always an officer, Bartleby is keenly aware that we do have a young woman on board. And as such, anytime she is on deck or anytime she is checking her with her horse, anytime she is out of her cabin, looming Bartleby is there. And he is always watching his men around her. He is, uh, he's doing other things to try and keep their morale up. Um, like, whenever we, we reach port, Bartleby is the one that leads them to places of entertainment. Bartleby's also the one who makes sure they all get back to the fucking ship. <laughs> First round on Bartleby, and I'll also be the one to, <laughs> to kill haul you if you don't get back on time. <laughs> Look, you can come back walking or you can come back dragged. It's really up to you. But you're coming back. The captain said it nice, I say it plain. Keeping all these goddamn animals alive <laughs> and <laughs> keeping the men in check and keeping Miss Vidya safe. I've been busy. My tannin's even starting to go a little bit, which is unpleasant. I'm, my skin is like permanently leather-like now after, you know, a long-term career at sea, but... Oh, yeah. I'm starting to lose some of that beautiful golden color, and I'm not super happy about that. Oh, yeah, and listen, you've been damp for the last six months, too. It's tough. Mm-mm, this is part of why I left England. Sir Bartleby, you have been the ladies. Uh, almost personal hire bodyguard right now. Uh, if you have the captain making sure things are in, in place and in compliance, you know, more visible on deck, you have actually, again, you know, kind of been her shadow. Uh, there is one gentleman on your ship that you have had a reoccurring problem with, and which is interesting because it hasn't been a lust factor. It hasn't been a let's blame her for everything that's been going on. There's something deeper, something angrier, uh, something that is rooted in hatred. There is uh, your ship steward who manages your kitchen, who is a shrewd man who always appeal, appears oily and he stinks of fish. Now, you made it very clear to this individual whose name is... Go ahead and toss me out a name, John. Somewhat ironically, his name is John Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> Which the generator speaks. I am merely an oracle for the generator. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> Uh, listeners, just as an FYI, because this is a collective and a collaborative uh, storytelling, I should have said this on the front end. I actually have Mike Diamond sitting in the background with the Regency book with certain areas that I'm a little weak on. So if at any point I go, how does that skill or how does that reputation thing work? I can just tee that off to him. He takes care of me while I continue with the story and he feeds me information back. Uh, something else that I personally am really poor with when it comes to storytelling is names. I just suck at names. I really suck at names. So I have really a... Hard. They're, they're, they suck. <laughs> 
So I have a Regency name generator uh, for male and female names that I just handed off to John. And at any point that I need a name, I'm just gonna say, hey, John, drop me a name. So that way, those are two major things that I'm weak on that I don't have to worry about uh, because we're all here telling this story together. Mm-hmm. So John, thank you for that, Mr. John Fisher, your ship steward. This is something you were very particular with him when the lady arrived on board. And it was, she eats a lacto-vegetarian diet. Now, granted, you didn't use those words back in the Regency area, but it's pretty straightforward that like, she doesn't do dairy and she doesn't do meat. This is a vegetarian diet. It is what it is. Work it into your menu. And that has irked him to the bone. He has made multiple attempts to push whatever meats he can in front of her to chastise her when she's not eating certain. And oh God, that one time you guys landed, we're actually able to get some cattle. That was just throwing beef stew, beef raw, anything he could beef in front of her face until like it finally hit a point when you did what? I went into the kitchen and held his face against a furnace. Well, a stove. Now, what you have to understand is that I've made my point to Mr. Fisher several times. We have been through this for months. Mr. Fisher, it was made perfectly clear, was required to feed a young lady and not provide her meat or dairy. Mr. Fisher was unwilling to comply with orders from an officer, and uh, I invoked my rights as an officer to remind him of his position on the ship and to set an example for anyone else what goes against what the captain says. So he spent a bit of time with the, bit of, with the medic and, uh, oh, he's raised rain. Got a nice poultice and he's got an interesting mark on his face what the ladies will love back home. And that was the very last time that he tried to push any meat at Miss Vidya. Miss Vidya, do you have anything you would like to contribute to the montage the last six months you've been at sea? Absolutely. I feel like... My understanding of English may not be as great as my companions, but I still notice things. And I still notice that I'm the only one who looks like me. And it's a very weird feeling going from your home country, being surrounded by people that look like you, to spending six months with people who look nothing like me. I think as I... I think I would notice the little stares I get from the other crew members and the maybe I hear that they're whispering about me. I may not know exactly what they're saying, but gossip is a tradition that transcends all cultures, as is superstition. And I think I can put two and two together and realize that I may not be viewed as favorably by these crew members. And I think I spent a lot of my time alone or as close to alone as I can be. I spend a lot of time with the animals traveling with me since they're from my my home, the exotic birds, possibly peacocks, the national bird of India. Being able to look at them and see that we're from the same place, they're really the only family I would really have traveling with me on this journey, me talking to my horse. These are all things that Vidya cherishes during this long, arduous journey of six months on the ship. And she notices that Bartleby is keeping an eye out for her. And I think after she hears about that experience with the with the steward, she tries to be very passive, doesn't want to rock the boat. But 
I think especially after Bartleby has put the steward in his place, Vidya is a little scared, not of Bartleby, but worried how that may affect the crew's perception of her. And so I I think she kind of feels more and more isolated. The rain doesn't help though, because uh, Vidya it has uh, Vidya is a curly hair queen, and all of that rain is probably not easy to work with. So she ends up spending a lot of time in her room, in contemplation, and in fear. Miss Vidya, may I please have? I feel like what I want from you right now is a power roll. Oh boy. Yeah, I think that's what I, I feel warm and fuzzy about right now. I've got a power of 50. Let's see what I get. Okay. Oh, a regular success. Okay. You are the only person on this boat that looks like you. And moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, you are sailing further and further away from your home, your culture, your religion, your sisters. And you know you're not going back. When you say goodbye, that was for forever. And you know that. And it's very easy to feel self-isolated and afraid. And you're around all of these white Englishmen um, who either hate you or afraid of you or just looking for ways to antagonize you. So it's very, very easy for you to self-isolate, to shut down uh, and to live in a state of fear for six months, uh, despite the compassion that you're getting from the first mate uh, and the captain. But your horse is there. Your spices are there. Your teas are there. And slowly and slowly, the more you interact with these remnants of home, the more and more you realize, like, I'm leaving home, but home isn't leaving me. Home goes wherever I go. I can keep my culture. I can keep my religion. I can keep all the things that I love about me alive if I'm intentional about it. And it took you a few weeks for you to have that realization. But the more you grappled with it, the more you sought through your power with it, the more that kind of realization set in for you. You don't know if you're going to be okay, but you do know that home is with you. Anything else you guys want to add to the montage? Otherwise, I'm going to move you forward. That's not a rush. That's an inquiry. I think Dance would probably want to look in on her a couple of times. But the best way to say it would be at a distance. So one of the important things culturally as he moves about on the boat is that it can't be perceived that the captain and her are, are ever alone in one space that they can't be viewed in. And so dance would probably take a very aggressive social posture in that way that he would physically prevent himself from being viewed as uh, that they couldn't be viewed by others or that there's sort of some sort of social rumor and entrapment would happen, right? Being that he has traveled all over these lanes and worlds, I think he's a fairly perceptive fellow. It wouldn't be lost on him that she would be utterly alone. And so he might offer books from his own library, literary pieces, right? If nothing else, to potentially entertain her along the way. It's a long journey, right? Very monotonous. But they would be given... It it wouldn't be done personally. It wouldn't be done personally. It would be done through Bartleby. And so you'd hand them to Bartleby... Bartleby, you hand them to Bartleby and say, you know, something like, hand these to her and hope and say something like, hopefully these break up the great days. He he wouldn't go into some sort of strange oratory about it, right? It's the, the quiet message, it's the subtle message that Dance wants to communicate to Bartleby that 
this is a sign of him caring. And and Bartleby's going to be able to help her get by. Yeah. Oh, God, that's beautiful. We've had plenty of passengers in the past. Captain usually doesn't ask me to check in on them. But this one, he has you checking in on. I will say Bartleby has a similar policy of, like, never entering Miss Vidge's room. That is her space. He's actually kind of like, mm, you should you should bar your door at night. <laughs> I have to ask, did you say it? Was that a conversation? Oh, yeah. That's something okay. he's very upfront about. He's like, look, I got a bunch of men on a ship for, for God knows how long, and they're not all honorable gentlemen. You best lock your room at night, blah, blah, blah. You will know it's me when I knock, blah, blah, blah. And whenever he is walking with her around the ship, though, he is talking to her in Hindi. He's making an effort for her to... See, the thing is that even though he's not actually (laughs) super smart, Bartleby is the type of person who excels at being an international sailor. He is quick to pick up languages. He is handy in a tight spot, and he's not entirely an idiot or a pig or a chauvinist. He is getting out of England and getting out of his little shell has actually opened his eyes to a lot of things. And, um, I mean, Bartleby's still a piece of shit, but he means well a lot of the time. So yeah, he, he has made an effort to speak to her in Hindi. His language, <laughs> it is kind of like speaking to a precocious child who will throw in a bunch of swear words <laughs> because he is still a sailor. <laughs> and um, he does make an effort for her to feel she has a place on the ship and that she's not alone. She's not entirely isolated for six months. She does. She can confide as much as she can in us. And he has made it clear to her that once the captain has sent something, it's always with the captain's regards. He he's like, look, etiquette, <laughs> etiquette says this, but we've got your back a little bit, you know, as much as possible. Because she's only a little bit older than my sister, so I'm like, mm. yeah, yeah. That's such a great middle image of um, uh, Miss Vidya like walking across the deck of the ship with an umbrella with sheets of rain coming down. You standing next to her, sodging wet, and you guys are both speaking in Hindi. Yeah, like as crewmen are like pulling robes or sails or look. I just I, that I could I could literally just do this montage for six episodes. Her and this hulking <laughs> six foot something man who's just a brute of a <laughs> creature. Does Bartleby like to read as well? Oh, Bartleby's actually a failed poet, so he does <laughs> like to read. He's just not good at writing, but he spends most of his evenings gambling. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this little book club situation we've got going kind of develops a little bit more over the few months, especially with you passing on books from the captain. I probably have maybe a handful of books from my personal collection, knowing that I will never be able to go back. So I feel like poetry is actually something that Vidya would talk about with Bartleby because you are a linguist. You know how different languages sound. You probably have an idea about how certain sentiments are expressed differently in different languages. And I think Vidya finds that very fascinating about you. So she probably will confide in you about what she's reading that the captain has given her if she's struggling with any phrases or expressions and understanding the translation of it but will also tell you probably about 
whether the English literature she's reading reminds her of something similar from back home, whether it's myths or legends or just general themes and stories. He's quite happy to explain to you, like, how he could have a conversation contrasting the ancient Greek poetry that he was raised on with some of the classical Indian structures. And he's like, so really, we've got a kind of a hero system here. And blah, blah. he's like, my favorite's the Odyssey because, and then he tells you all about the Odyssey. And you're like, but, but that's not going to happen to us, right? <laughs> oh, yes. I feel like if you're if you're recounting the story of the Odyssey over this long journey, which would be so appropriate, Vidya's probably sitting there, hands to her face in suspense, wondering what happens next. Wondering what happens to the dog when when Odysseus doesn't recognize the dog. What about the dog? And he's like, I got bad news about the dog. So, Captain Dance, you know the town of Poole. It's attached to Poole Harbor is where you're going to dock. And you know that in this massive sprawling town that the big time for the coming out party for the girls age, you know, 15 to 16 is late spring, early summer. Now, you can't, you, you couldn't do anything about your departure date. That is what it was. It was it was on boarding horses and getting a crew assembled and brokering the arrangement with her father and blah, 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 blah. But you knew that if you left at the time you could, you could get Miss Vidya to the town of Poole just in time for the late spring, early summer coming out balls, which, you know, those are the big ones. Those are the huge ones. That's when the new dresses come in or people are getting new, you know, ornaments or filaments for the dresses that they have to get upgraded, things of that nature. However, you're also dealing with a global anomaly and rain and winds and things that you haven't been able to predict because you've never seen them before. So I asked at the beginning of the game, a group luck check from Miss Vidya, which was a fail. I'm so sorry. An astronomy check from Sir Robert Dance, which was a regular success. And a navigate check from the first mate, Sir Bartleby. And what I was going to do is you either made it on time, you made it early, or you were late, depending on these roles. That was one failure and two successes. You are going to make it, Sir Robert Dance, in time for the late spring, early summer coming out ball. So congratulations. (laughs) This was a hard journey. You've had a couple of deaths. There's everything is new right now, uh, but majority wins. You're actually going to arrive right on time, if not maybe a week early. So, guys, today is the day, and it is a blessed day. It hasn't rained for hours. It's dry. Miss Vidya, you have been informed by the captain that you guys will be docking in Pool Harbor in just a few hours. So you are below deck in your chambers and you are packing up everything, pulling things out of drawers, getting everything ready, making sure, uh, you know, your horse is ready, practicing your last minute English, you know, etiquette. You are below ship, getting everything finished because you are going to be off of this boat. As you all are approaching Pool Harbor, Captain and the first mate, you can you can smell smoke on the air. And that's surprising because this is pretty far out for you to be catching any type of smoke unless it was a significant fire. And it's not helping because, of course, there's a thick fog that has settled here. So visibility is less than ideal. Uh, but, you know, Captain Dance, you recognize these low-hanging clouds. This is one of those ones that you're going to be through in the next five or ten minutes. And then hopefully you'll catch, you know, a breath of visibility. This one will pass soon. 
directly before your eyes, Captain, as you are uh, at the helm of your ship and you're looking forward, you can see that the ship is cutting through debris, wooden planks, metal shards, broken crates, like several crates bop into the corner uh, of your ship as you're moving forward, clothing, and then holy shit, as you look down just in a, a brief glimpse of visibility through the fog down to the water, is that a ship's helm? That is just like literally wading by you, strewn in the water. I mean, it looks like you're wading through the aftermath of a ship that sank. And then above you, a warning bell begins to ring out from the crow's nest. You can't see the crow's nest because it's consumed by the fog. But unlike the spirited and energetic bell, the warning bell that usually goes to let you know there's trouble or something to bring on alert, this one is long, it's somber, it's melodic, it's cold. It's one of those steady, sad, solemn rings that immediately sends chills um, down everyone's spine. And you guys can't help but to think, what does he see? And and before you can call up or you can send uh, a runner-up, Sir Bartleby, uh, a black man by the name of Jacoby Morse appears from the fog approaching um, you and Sir Robert on the deck. Now, Jacoby is your second mate, so he reports directly to you by way of the captain. Uh, This is a seven-foot-tall, deeply dark-skinned, heavily muscular man that has really deep whiplash whelps on his back, and he has those muscles that just ripples when he walks. Like It's an ongoing joke that the crew talks about him, like the planks underneath his feet still jump and shiver when he walks, like just under the weight of his footfalls. He's approaching you with a somber look on his face, both of you, but mostly he's going directly towards the first mate. Sir Barberby, you know that slavers took his tongue years before the captain brought him aboard on the crew. So he does the majority of his communication just through body language or facial expressions, which with a man of his size, his intimidate is through the roof. Usually he just has to look at somebody and it gets the job done. But even he shows deference to you. And he looks at you with this just alarmed sadness in his eyes. And he looks to you, Captain, and then he wordlessly turns around and he starts heading to the side of the ship. And he doesn't say anything. He can't say anything. But everything about this says, follow me and prepare yourself. Yeah, Jacoby's one of us. So, I mean, he's been with us through thick and thin. We're going to... Yeah. If he says something's worth having a look, it's worth having a look. Yep. Okay. He heads you towards the front of the ship as the fog is beginning to thin... And you have a hard time reconciling what the two of you are seeing as you look at the ruins of Pool Harbor. And as your mind is just trying to put the pieces together, like what the hell could have happened here? Um, you notice that Jacoby is looking down and then you guys look down. And I'm going to need sand checks as I skip over to uh, Miss Vidya. Miss Vidya, there is, it's not a knock. There's a pound on your door. In your excitement of, oh my God, I'm getting off this ship. I'm going to leave it to a luck check if you remember to lock that door. Oh boy. Oh boy. Here we go. My luck is a 25. Oh no. It's a 75. So I am probably so excited before. I'm I'm sure I hear the bell maybe in the distance, but I'm probably just jumping up and down in my room by myself squealing dreaming about my new life. Yeah. 
And being off the ship, I'm probably singing to myself, dancing, twirling around in my lovely clothes. And when I hear a knock at the door, I don't even remember the secret knock that Bartleby and I share. So I fling open the door with gleeful abandon. And you're looking dead in the face of Sir John Fisher, the ship's steward. And there's an overwhelming sense of dread, fear, and violation um, that happens because he's standing on the inside of your doorframe. The second that door swung open and your dress and your hair is moving, he took a step in. That is a pure violation of your private space. The captain and the first mate don't even do that. This is this is wrong. And you know it. This is one of those moments where the hackles raise up on the back of your neck. And he looks to you and you look at him. You want to do anything before he starts speaking? I feel like I take my shawl and I cover my hair kind of at, like in, in deference and um, I take a step back you know I try to compose myself and I pull myself together and ask is something is, is something wrong? You pull that shawl over your hair and you take that step back and that step back is met with a step forward from him as his just grimy wet fish oily hand catches you around your throat pinches down on your juggler and spins you out of the room, throwing you into the wall uh, of the hallway. And as this is happening, it's just one of those things, your eyes are fixated on that half of the burned face that he's been wearing, because let's face it, medical attention on the ship hasn't been amazing, and Sir Balderby did put his face into the stove. Uh, he looks to you and he says, so you want to be an English lady, eh? And he's stepping in on you. And you immediately know the sensation. You're being hurted because um, he's he's cutting you off where you can't get back into your room or he's cutting you off where you can't go. Um, but one way, which is forward down this hallway and up the stairs to the deck, he says, you want to go to London and marry some dandy? Well, why don't you head to the deck and see what life is like for a poor Englishman? Is he pressing down enough on my throat where I can't talk back. No, you're going to be able to get some you can get some you can get some some garbled words out cuz he's eventually just going to push you. Right. I I feel like it's probably just going to be like a like a maybe like a small shout as he grabs me around the neck and as he shoves me forward and as I'm trying to, you know, ask, what what's happening? What what's going on? But as I'm being shoved, it's probably just coming out as little shouts. Chirps shouts, gargles, and eventually he's going to let you go and just he's touching you. Oh my goodness. You realize in six months you haven't felt physical contact from another human being. And this is the contact you get after six months. It's him pushing you, grabbing you, and pushing you down the hallway uh, almost chasing you up the stairs. It it feels terrible. <laughs> if, uh, if this is what physical contact feels like, I... I will happily go back to six months of of being by myself and keeping in mind that I'm, I'm 15, my shouts are probably very high-pitched and more akin to that of a child than of a, of a grown woman. Yeah, but I am, I am terrified. Okay. And like a rabbit dog, he continues berating you, talking about English dandies, and you don't belong here. And he's barking at you and he's yapping at you. He's literally chasing you up the stairs. We were eventually going to find yourself uh, on an oddly quiet deck as everyone is either looking around or looking out 
the vibe, the spirit, the culture on the deck right now is unlike anything that you've experienced in the six months. You hear that bell loud and clear now, and you know that something is very, very wrong. I'm going to skip over back to my gentleman. How are those sand checks, guys? Mine is a failure. Is a 86 over 60. Ouch. Mine is a, is a normal success right on the button. 50 on 50. Okay, thankfully, this isn't really bad, guys. This is a zero if you made it. This is a one if you failed. This is what the two of you are seeing. Um, you're still a few miles out. You could get a better view if you hopped onto your binoculars and this damn cloud could pass. But it looks like some type of riot or event or massacre happened at Pool Harbor. Ships are either uh, undocked from uh, the harbor some are like spilling into the water. There's like fire on the air, even though you don't see any open flames, but you can still see the smoldering of smoke. Uh, a major, major catastrophic event has happened at Pool Harbor. You never thought Pool Harbor could fall, but if this is what a fallen harbor looks like, this is exactly what's happened. Uh, the thing that is alarming you even more, especially you, Captain, with the uh, uh, the failed sanity check, as the um, bulbous bow of the front of your ship is continuing to move forward, it's sifting through human bodies. Dozens of them. Maybe hundred. Uh, one is particular that you catch eyes on, and this is one of the things, like, even though you've seen war, even though you've caused death, it's still one of those things that's just very uncomfortable to watch. One of these bodies is so bloated and waterlogged and fat that it's actually pulled beneath um, the bulbous bow of the ship and it just completely bursts and rips in half into two pieces and goes tumbling on either side of the ship. Uh, One of the crewmates behind you vomits. Uh, You can uh, hear Jacoby clear his throat and look down. Uh, Again, you have seen war, naval war. Not every member of your crew has. And just skipping back down... Miss Vidya, when you come up to the deck and you're like, you know, you're moving backwards trying to get away from uh, Sir Fisher, your back hits the rail and you look down and that's when you see half of a torso, a bloated torso, just float by you. The entrails are spilling out. And for a hot second, those mucus, claw, uh, cloud covered eyes lock on with you as the body continues floating by. I need a sand check from you. Oh my goodness. I, I scream. Let me see what this sand roll says. Oh, I uh, I got a hard success. Oh, maybe you don't scream. Maybe I don't. Maybe the scream was really cathartic. Yeah. <laughs> or it could be a cathartic Ooh. scream. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Woo. Okay. You don't lose any. You are you are you are okay. It could be that you you jump from one trauma to the other, and your transition somehow mellowed everything out. Honestly, I'm probably just imagining it's it's maybe it's the steward. Maybe oh someday the steward will meet the same fate. Well, if Bartleby hears what he just did, it might be him here in the next ten minutes. As you guys continue forward, the cloud lifts and you can see part of a warehouse that has suffered some type of fire damage just collapse and it just slides into the bay. And you're looking at the devastation in front of you and you're sailing through bodies. I take a short look just very quickly at Bartleby and say, get them in order. Hi, Captain. Jacoby, if you don't mind with me. He nods, and he's on your six. So my plan, just visually here, is if the pier is gone, I'm thinking that my tactical mind is going to come right out. Pool has been some sort of... It's it's suffered some sort of bombardment. It's 
some friendship that has decided to come up here and have their fun and they've destroyed this dock. And so I need to know where the next place I can moor at is. Where can I make some sort of port? If you wanted to, you could balls to the walls and you could still make port here. It's just going to be dangerous and it's going to be tricky. If you're like, nah, skip that noise. You know, if you like continue to cut west around the west coast of Dorset, um, there are dozens of coves um, that are like have those um, secluded natural harbors that the pirates used to use. I mean, in the 18th century, like Dorset was a thriving smuggling community due to these picture book looking coves, caves and sandy beaches. So your favorite is Coral Cove. Now, you know, it takes some maneuvering because it has some jutting limestone spires that stick out of the water, but you've done it enough for you to successfully port. You'd be rolling with a bonus die. All right, then. Just just seeing the movement we had to get into the area pool, I think I'm going to make for Coral Cove. It's the best bet. Okay. Bartleby? So I've heard a young woman scream from the back of the ship. You damn sure did. Yeah. I am going to back out orders, get all the men to their stations that they need to be ready to respond at a moment's notice. I'm good with a sword. I'm good with a gun. I never quite figured out how to throw a punch. I mean, not well, not not in a fight. Usually, you know, bang, slash. But my charge is in danger. And uh, I am going to resolve this. And that's why I brought Jack- Jacoby along. That because he and I are pretty solid. Mm-hmm. When we come up and we see Fisher pushing her towards the edge, holding her over the edge, looking at the body. Yeah. Mr. Fisher, I will ask you to unhand Miss Ambani and step back from her. He complies immediately because he really thought you guys would be too distracted to notice this. Uh Uh-huh. Mr. Jacoby, would you remind Stuart Fisher of what it means to wander into areas of the ship he has no business on? And he's just looking Fisher dead in the eyes as he's saying this. And you can see the blood falling out of Fisher's face. Now, I have a question for you. Mike Diamond, for narrative reasons, do you want to take either Jacoby or Fisher? For just a quick narrative, maybe a roll or two? Sure. I'll take Jacoby. Okay. All right. I'll stick with the slimy Fisher. Miss Vidya is here seeing this as his hand finally, you know, releases from your throat. Yeah. We've never disciplined anybody in front of her before. It's usually been, she's a bit too young to see that sort of thing. Uh, uh, Miss, Mr. Botterby, no, no. I, I, I mean, stepping back because he already knows how things go down with Jacoby. And he already knows he might not survive this. I feel like as he steps back, Vidya, like who is so, you know, shaken up, is speaking in Hindi, which she knows Mm. Bartleby understands, pointing to her throat, which is possibly a little red from being choked. Mm -hmm. And she she points to her throat and in Hindi says he he tried, he he grabbed me here. He he pulled me out of the room and sent me up here. what is even happening? Why are there bodies in the water? And is completely word vomiting right now in absolute panic. <laughs> and I think for Jacoby's part, he's, even though he can't speak Hindi, he does very much understand and appreciate and communicate through body language. And Miss Vidya is very special to the captain mm-hmm. and clearly to Bartleby because he would have seen them move around the ship together. 
And so if she steps back, mm-hmm. he is going to put himself directly in between the two of them because he is prepared to pounce. He's just waiting to get his hands on Fisher. And slimy Fisher looks over to you, brought to be. He's like, no, no, you no, you don't understand. I wasn't, I wasn't Jacoby. I always, don't I always give you the biscuits? I always give you extra biscuits, Jacoby. Don't do this. She is an outsider. And the second he says it, and he's looking up at a black man, he's like, that was it for me. <laughs> a black man who's been t- tortured by slavers. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Mr. Fisher has the recognition the second it slips out of his mouth. Yeah, I think Jacoby, you know, even though he's heard something that gives him some, you know, rise to, to further given his that blood pressure that's already pumping. Mm-hmm. He's a second mate on this ship, and he is going to wait until his immediate superior gives him the authority to pound Fisher into the deck. Like, yeah, Bartleby is just looking at her throat and like just slow turns to Fisher, just real slow. And he's just like, Mr. Fisher, I'm going to be recommending what you get your uh, ticket for stewardship removed. Officer Jacoby, if you wouldn't mind uh, doling out the appropriate punishment, I leave the judgment to yourself. Yep. And like a snap, like a, like a snapping viper, he grabs Fisher by the neck. And because the special guest is still adjacent and present, he is going to frog march Mr. Fisher down below the deck to deal with him directly. And I, and I love the idea of just keeping whatever happens to Fisher off camera. I, no, I absolutely love it. Because yeah. that's too perfect. That's that's absolutely too perfect. You are making a break for Coral Cove. And you're um, looking at, I hate to say the remnants of Pool Harbor, but you're looking at the you're looking at the harbor and you're like, God, what happened to our families that are that are living in pool? Like this is this is really bad. And you can see in the distance uh, that there are people moving around. Um, but you need to whip out your binoculars to try to get a better view on it. And if doing so, I'll give you a, a bonus die on your spot hidden to kind of get an eye uh, on what's going on. You could have a master and commander style looking glass, Mike. Looking glass. Ha ha. <laughs> All of the master and commander fans will be very happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, I really want something lower than that, but it's 74. So it's still not enough. I'm going to opt not to spend for that one. It's a little too rich little too rich for your blood. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's what you see. You see people milling around. They're more like silhouettes from the distance, but you are making a break for Coral Cove. This is going to delay you by all of an additional two hours, but at this point, um, you're cutting through bodies. Decisions had to be made. The important part in this case is to not bring her what a, such an honored guest I don't want to bring her into a dock like that. Yeah. While there might be other captains who might be, we'll say, adventurous enough to make such a port. I think Captain Vance wants a a safe location, a peaceful location after six months at sea. And I have no idea who those silhouettes belong to or who they are. So why take the risk? Agreed. Sir Bartleby, at some point, uh, you and your charge are together. Are you taking her back to her room after this situation? Give me an idea of just what you're doing so I know how to approach you. Bartleby figures best to bring her up to speed as best he can while she's here. 
I unfortunately don't have much in the reassure skill or I would try. Oh, but that's okay because if you would like to do persuade or charm, you can go that direction. Because remember, reassure is the psychoanalysis version where you can roll back sanity. So he's just going very gently, put an arm around her, you know, and like any sailors on deck are getting a death glare (laughs) if they look. Yeah. He's like, in Hindi, he asks, do you want to go back to your room? I, I do. Everyone, everyone is looking at me funny and everyone, everyone hates me. He, he called me, he called me an outsider. He said this was all my fault. I, I, I just don't want, I just don't want to be looked at like that anymore. And he nods. And she's just cowering as you have an arm around her shoulder. You can just feel her get smaller. Mm-hmm. And like he draws himself up to full height. Anyone that's just gawping, he just top of lungs, full officer voice. Be about your business, men. I love you if you don't. By Christ, this is a dangerous spot and you're to follow the captain's order to the letter. And at that point, he's going to lead her downstairs to uh, to her room. No one can make eye contact. No one can peep, even if they want to. There are sounds happening from below deck. Uh, they know that Jacoby is working. And that is one of those things that were still their focus 10 out of 10 times, 10 out of 10 times, 10 out of 10 times. At some point, as you are escorting the lady back to her room and reassuring her, giving her confidence, uh, you can hear that that slimy, nasally voice from, mm-hmm. can you give me a male name, please? You mean the slimy, nas- nasally voice of... Of... Alexander Southerton. Alexander Southerton? Southerton, yes. Southerton. Uh, you can hear the nasally voice of Alexander Southerton. Everyone hates the way that he talks because he talks with this high nasally voice, but he's he's the guy that typically sits in your crow's nest, which is perfect because no one has to really hear him all the way up there. He just rings a bell. <laughs> we tell him it's because of his sharp eyes, but really it's because we all hate his guts. <laughs> right. You can hear, you can hear that voice just bleeding through the the decks and um, he's asking, has anybody seen uh, uh, Jacoby? I'm looking for Jacoby. Does anybody know where Jacoby is? And you can imagine the facial expressions that are happening on the deck right now (laughs) because no one is responding to him. He says, I'd uh, I'd really like to find uh, Jacoby. It's it's fine. It's fine. Does anybody know where Bartleby is? Bartleby? And hey, 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 have you seen Bartleby? And eventually somebody's either going to point or motion him down and um, you can hear his clumpy steps. Um, he's a petite guy, which also makes him great to go up into the crow's nest. Like he's sitting around like five two or whatever. Uh, has a big gut on him, long beard that constantly has shit in it because he takes his snacks up there and has a time in his life. Uh, and he comes down. And he's like, "Oh, so proud to be, so proud to be." Uh, can I have a moment, please? I saw something on the. Oh, and he looks at the lady and he immediately does this awkward turn around where his back <laughs> is towards her. That's my apologies, Miss. No, no, you're you're quite all right. I think uh, Vidya is just relieved to have someone interacting with her in a somewhat positive way, even saying sorry or something. I I feel like she's probably much, much happier with this type of energy rather than some of the other men she's most recently dealt with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mr. Southerton, the captain has taken command of the deck. You'll report to him. Oh, it was just really the last. I, you told me to go to Jacoby and not to speak directly to you and not to speak directly to the captain. So Mr. I, Jacoby is busy at the moment. And to you, that is Lieutenant Jacoby. Yes, sir. So. So, so you're wishing to go talk to the captain, then, is what you're saying? You don't, I mean, here, you want me to go talk to the captain? 
he nods slowly and just like, you can tell the captain what I said to you. Aye, sir. Dismissed, Mr. Sutherland. Oh, oh, yes, 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 of course, of course. And he turns and he waddles back up the steps. I'm looking for the captain. Has anyone seen the captain? Anybody know where the captain is? I'm looking for the captain. I love this guy. <laughs> he, he needs to survive, guys. I, I need him to survive. He's the only and he's the only crew member to make it with us. And we're like, oh, Sutherland. <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> and captain at the helm, you're making a break for Coral Cove. And you can just hear, anybody seen the captain? Anybody looking for the captain? He knows where the fuck you are. Like, it's one place he would be right now. <laughs> Especially if I've told him the captain has taken command of the ship. (laughs) (laughs) I would probably call up from the wheel. Stop that prattling and get up here. I sorry, Captain. Sorry, Captain. Mr. Southern. I Captain Dance. I was I was I was looking out as I was previously instructed, I was looking for Jacoby, but I I I understand uh, Jacoby is uh, undisposed. And so then I went to the first mate, uh, sir, 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 sir Barnaby, but he sent me to you. Um, I, I have an observation to report from the crow's nest, Captain. Do so. And that awkward pause is totally in game as he's looking at you as if like he spent so much time trying to figure out how to get that line out. He didn't actually remember when he came down to report. It's one of those moments. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I um... do so with haste. Oh. With haste, man. With haste, yes, Captain. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, I don't really, I don't know her, her proper title. I don't even know her last name to call her. Miss Annie? Our guest. No, 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 not the guest. I saw her downstairs. She looks like she had a fright, by the way. Not quite sure what happened, but it looked like she was crying. I hate to see ladies crying. I have a sister, and when my sisters cry like that, it just, just really tears me up like that. Mr. Sutherland, continue. Oh, yeah. I don't know her last name, so I don't know how to properly address her. But Annie, Miss Annie, um, she sent the signal. The, the, the Coral Cove confirmation signal. But it looks like you're going that way anyway, so I didn't really need to come down here and tell you to go to Coral Cove. Looks like she was telling you what you already knew. Because that's where you're going, right? It's going to Coral Cove. I noticed the directionality change. Yes. Well done. He straightens up. He pats his belly. Thank you, Captain. Now, you have a nest man? Blank stare for a minute. <laughs> Aye, Captain, yes. Do so. I just... He didn't send a runner up, and I didn't. I didn't. I waited for as long as I could, and no one. I, I rang the bell. Did you hear the bell? I did. All right, Captain. He will waddle away back up to his porch in the sky. <laughs> I probably mumble something like, "The crown doesn't permit me to execute people with at sea without reason." <laughs> so yes, I will make for Coral Cove for certain. You make for the cove, and like I said, it takes you uh, a couple additional hours to start skirting that way, but thankfully, the further you head west, uh, the less that, you know, accurate smell of smoke hangs in the air, the less bodies you're shaving through, and the rain becomes to sheet down again, just as Coral Cove comes into view, and the one thing that you can see right there on the sandy beaches is a brown horse with an all-white butt with both of its legs in the air spinning around. And you can see Annie is mounted that horse and she's waving a green uh, handkerchief right now that you can see. And that's telling you that you are safe to port. And we're going to end the game here, I think. Yeah, let's be a good indie spot. Let's end here and we'll pick up next time. So thank you very much, Keeper Bridget, for that exciting romp through Regency Cthulhu. This is episode one of a multi-part story. And so we want to say... Thank you and good night, and we'll see you soon.